Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. I'm Monte. I'm Veronica. And I'm Melissa. And we are the SJW Comic Book Club. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> I mean, we're still doing this thing, y'all. Anyway, welcome to the Color Pages Book Club, which is a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Woo! Colorful backgrounds! Thank you, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and today, we're back like we're an actual book club masquerading as a podcast. We're a podcast masquerading as a book club. Mm-hmm. And we brought friends that's right yes we have veronica and melissa and monte from sjw podcast hey y'all why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves hi so the sjw comic book club is a podcast that's pretty similar to yours which is probably why we've had you on so many times (laughs) (laughs) where we are just three friends who we've known each other forever and eventually we decided we wanted to record ourselves talking about things so we talk (laughs) about comic books usually from a not usually i mean always from a progressive point of view but sometimes we focus more on the story sometimes we focus more on the social issues just depends on the story and depends on Mm. our mood so Uh, love that love it's weird hearing y'all spiel because like we Mm -hmm. like clearly know who y'all are (laughs) Yeah. yeah and yes everyone so we have been on the stw comic book club podcast three times three times yeah we talked about moon girl and devil dinosaur we talked about riri williams and (sighs) black panther yeah so it's been three times all those episodes by the way are are on our collaborations page on Mm -hmm. thesecolorpages.com so definitely check them out if you have not and i'm just hyped that we're finally doing this that you all are on our show that we get to like just share this collaboration even more because y'all are great y'all are great (laughs) so we're just very excited very very excited yeah it's It's good to close this loop So that we can say we've been on both of each other's podcasts. Yes. So nice. Absolutely. And also, like, I don't know, just check them out. They have a lot of good stuff. I feel like we make our listeners read books that none of them, I mean, they want to read them, <laughs> but no one has time. Whereas y'all have, like, cracked the four of you and you're like, just read a comic. It's shorter. <laughs> right. We've yeah, read a few yeah. long ones recently, but trying to get back to not so long. <laughs> and sometimes, even though they're shorter, they feel very long <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, can also happen that's real <laughs> that is so, so we decided to kind of you know like stay on this sort of whatever comic book stint it's 2022 it sounds like a sci-fi year anyway um and <laughs> <laughs> like, who thought we were gonna get a 2022 anyway and then it's winter Jesus. and <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> and so we're like, why don't we do like a summer short in the winter, like a Christmas in July situation? Mm. But reversed. So we're going to read a queer comic book, uh, the novella Bingo Love by T. Franklin. Yes, that's right, everyone. I am so hyped to get into this conversation, but just to give some context. So mm-hmm. let's start with T. Franklin and kind of just talking about her as as an author. So T. Franklin is a black, queer, disabled, autistic, award-winning, best-selling comic writer and public speaker from New Jersey. So in 2018, Franklin became the first black, queer, disabled woman writer published by Image Comics for her best-selling queer romance graphic novella, Bingo Love, and revenge horror stories, Juke Joint. 
Franklin is also the first Black woman to write the DC Comics well-known characters Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy in the Harley Quinn Eat Bang Kill Tour series. And to talk a little bit more about like sort of her journey with Bingo Love, Franklin in 2017 won the Prism Queer Press Grant for Bingo Love and was able to actually raise about $60,000 for this graphic novella via Kickstarter. So Franklin created her own publishing company, Inclusive Press, in order to publish her own comics. She actually signed a book deal with Image Comics to publish Bingo Love, which was actually released in on February 14th of 2018 on Valentine's Day. So... That is the book we're going to be reading, Bingo Love, and could could not be more excited, honestly. Yeah, which, I mean, first of all, it's dope that, like, a Kickstarter worked. I mean, I, a lot of them do, <laughs> but, like, a lot of them don't. So it's really dope that it worked, and that's really amazing. Also, then she just started her own company to publish books. So, I mean, that's, she's really cool, and she sounds amazing. So, you know, that's cool. By the way, I... <laughs> Before we get into the summary, <laughs> this is new for everyone, but it's really not. I have a question. <laughs> Ooh. That transition could have been better, but we're here now. So this book What is your question? <laughs> Thanks, Rosie. <laughs> but so this book is very hopeful and lighthearted and fun. And it's a good fun read. And so my question has nothing to do with that. The question is, what is the worst book? piece of literature whatever honestly it could even be a television show that you've ever read slash seen Ooh, this be inflammatory because the one that comes immediately to my mind oh, is God. hot in the spotlight right now. i won't go into it Monte. i'm sorry <laughs> you asked that other day when i told you all about it you asked me um for me it's dune the mm. book that is being made into okay. a star-studded sci-fi yeah so okay we're here. we're here let's hear it so I could literally talk or text about this for hours, as I did the other day. Um, but just in general, as like a sci-fi thing, like an older sci-fi book, it's a bit par for the course on that kind of stuff. Like it builds a world or whatever. Fine. Good. All great. I just think it's it betrays a deeply misogynist point of view from the author and in general is not very what's the word the protagonist i I don't identify with him at all he becomes less identifiable over time and Mm -hmm. i just am not excited about the story and i find it boring and uh (laughs) sexist and that's it both boring and offensive yes (laughs) like you really can't be both like also deeply racist oh yes racist Mm -hmm. cannot forget about the racism absolutely not i have a follow-up question Yes. So I know literally nothing about Dune, mm-hmm. but like just from like cultural osmosis, I gathered that like the first movie was like pretty boring or like a lot of people said it was boring. So the boring piece, is that true about like the entire series or just like the that introduction? So I only read the first book, which this movie that just came out is apparently about half of the first book. The book is okay. like this thick. It's a very long book. Oh, My- no. My memory of it is that about 60% of it is descriptions of sand, which cannot possibly be correct. But if <laughs> oh, that memory actually, is anything like it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not incorrect. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I will say, like, okay, Dune is boring. Maybe even exceptionally boring. Yeah. But 
Marcy, you asked if it's indicative of the series. I'm going to just throw this out there and say that it's indicative of the genre. <laughs> sci-fi mm, and fantasy. The whole, sci-fi and okay. fantasy books are very boring. And Especially the older ones. Because there's, yeah, because there's so much world building you have to do. Mm, so like, in order wrong. to create this interesting world, like the books have to be a little bit boring. Yeah. Like, honestly, mm. most of because I love fantasy as a genre, but most of the way that I consume it is not through the actual books. Or if I do read the actual books, I am skipping a lot. Of <laughs> yes. Mm. And I'm a huge connoisseur of old sci-fi, but I talk about this when we talk about comics a lot, too, that like for a lot of older sci-fi, just the world is good enough for the people who are reading that. They just mm. wanted Oh, cool sci-fi world, cool sci-fi technology. And it wasn't so much about like a hero's journey or a mm. character arc or etc. If you like character-driven stories or even plot-driven stories, <laughs> 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 sci-fi and fantasy is not the kind of books you want to read if they're past a certain page count. That is that's so funny you say that because um we so we just talked about um The Stone Sky by NK Jemison. It was like mm. part of the Broken Earth trilogy. And I remember struggling with the last book because it was like to to your point I was like I feel like the world is interesting. Like the setting is really getting a lot of like airtime and like, I'm more interested in the characters. I remember literally bringing that up and being like, I like the story, but I wish that like it was more character driven. Mm. And yeah, I feel like that's been my thing sometimes with fantasy being like, um, yes, I get it. The world like, boop, 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 but like, can we just, <laughs> can we jump <laughs> into the thing? It's so funny. So I think of us as hosts, I'm probably the sci-fi fantasy one of the two of us and i have i did not read dune i listened to dune on audio tape because i tried to read it and i was like i'm not gonna this is <laughs> for anyone it's a brick me. for real Jesus. yeah and i do think i think 60 percent descriptions of sand is like a bit generous i think it's like maybe 75. <laughs> not that being <laughs> generous <laughs> i think you're being really fair i i was trying to be generous i i <laughs> Honestly, I could say like probably like eighty percent of my memory of the book is sand. <laughs> just like there's a lot Yikes. of sand in this book, and I, I and I, I don't hate I don't hate Dune, but I think you're right about everything you just stated. Like the protagonist is definitely sec- like not even the author, the time period, the author, the book itself. Probably the pages themselves are like in a day, which is wild. like the last paragraph of yeah. the book. I had just read the whole thing and was kind of like mm, suspicious of it. And then the like last paragraph, I was just like, "WTF?" I could, <laughs> I might have thrown it at the wall. <laughs> and I think, like, what makes me think this? Um, I'm gonna bring in a Naruto reference, which no one understands how I got here, but here's why: <laughs> the character of Sakura is a great female character that the writers mm-hmm. were too sexist to figure out how to write completely. Yep. Similarly, like the Benny Jesuits, Jessica, and all, like all the female characters are great female characters that the author was like. I don't know. I accidentally wrote character traits for women. And I don't know what to do now. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, when you realize that every single female character except Chani is a Bene Gesserit, and they're <laughs> all part of a secret cabal that's controlling, <laughs> trying to control society and the direction of society, you just have to be like, hmm, what did this guy think about women? Right. Mm. There's a question there. <laughs> 
Whereas in like one sense, you're like, this could have been like a really dope discussion of matriarch and power and the idea of women having like agency in society from antiquity, but being unrecognized. But like Mm -hmm. the author was like, anyway, Paul is like going to be just the main character. Okay. Anyway, so (laughs) that's that's her thoughts on on Dune. Melissa, what is your worst, (laughs) worst, (laughs) least favorite? Well, okay. So I don't really know if I've got... Like the word, I mean, there are pieces of media that I don't enjoy all that much. I can't think of them at the moment, but I can think fresh in my mind that I started an audiobook on Hoopla. It was like in my recommended, and I was just like chaotically trying to find something. Like immediately (laughs) when I was like on my way to work, I was sitting in my driveway and I was like, oh, I need something new. And I saw this book by robin carr it's called my kind of christmas and i was like oh "Oh, it's like december this is like christmasy or whatever and i start listening to it and i stopped it on my way to work and then just like (laughs) turned on the radio to avoid having to listen to the rest of this audio (laughs) (laughs) so i can't tell if i just prejudged it or i just i just the first like three minutes was about a young woman who was in college and she got in a serious car accident that gave her oh, a no. traumatic brain injury and they oh had to God. like cut into her brain and her brain was like swelling and she had like all these kinds of strokes and then she just recovered um, and then is at home and talking to her mom and her mom's like, you got to go back to school. And she's just like, I don't know if I want to go back to school anymore. <laughs> and like, and this is like all in the first three minutes. And I was like, wait, what was the timeline Jeez. from when you had a <laughs> dramatic brain injury? Oh, from, it felt like it was like a few months. Like it wasn't like, oh, I missed out on like years of school. It was like a few months. It was like summer break. <laughs> and I was like this. I just don't know if I'm going to enjoy this book. <laughs> Melissa, that sounds deeply interesting. (laughs) No, it was all, I just, I I don't know. I, that particular thing has happened to someone in my family with Mm. a traumatic brain injury. And I was like, I don't know if I can read a book that inaccurately talks about traumatic brain injuries Mm. for the entire book. So I, yeah, I was like, "Mm, it's kind of pulling me out of it in a way that I just wasn't just not interested at all. So maybe traumatic brain injuries like the like shtick for a story. You know, it's not like, oh, man, (laughs) we accidentally like switched luggage. Like I accidentally got, you know, it's not the same level. They they were literally talking about it as though she had like broken her arm. Like they weren't talking about the struggles of like recovering or something. She was just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it was really inconvenient when I had like brain surgery and recovered a few weeks later like it's just i don't know like i just Mm. couldn't do it so it's always very frustrating to me when right when writers are like not like when you depict something like schizophrenia or like something that is very you know i don't want to say it's debilitating because there are a lot of people who like cope with all kinds of mental illnesses or like physical or mental um disabilities but it's very frustrating to me when people depict something in a very like sometimes even a cutesy way like mm. they make it like like something very much frustrates me especially with like if you've ever had a major depressive disorder and then you watch something with like the sad girl trope or the sad boy trope where it's like oh he's so depressed but it's cute and pretty and we're in like mm. sepia tone colors and they're making snappy comments and it's like that's not what major depression looks like and i am very frustrated by what's going on on the screen 
Yeah. Right. Mm. It's like a little like, oh, this makes them interesting. You're like, this isn't like a thing to distinguish your character when you're it's writing. It's not a quirk. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, yeah. yeah. Especially when it's easily researchable. Right. Or it's like, um, if you're if it's gonna be a non serious plot, make it a non serious problem. Come on. Right. Like just, <laughs> if it, all this is just so that she goes back to college and falls in love with Mr. What's it Mahuza and they Right. Like, <laughs> then let's just, you know, let's keep it on that level. Hmm. <laughs> a reason for a college student to not want to be in college anymore. Gotta right. be something traumatic like Right. <laughs> we could right. be like, mm, wasn't fucking with it. Didn't like, like it. Wasn't for me. Like, there couldn't be any other thing. No. <laughs> right. It no has other to be situation. brain surgery. <laughs> right. Jesus Christ. Student loans, that's not it. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't even, they weren't even bringing up like, she's like, mom, I can't do it anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it was mm. nothing to do with the injury. It was just like, she just didn't feel like it anymore, which is like her perspectives changed or something. Not like she had a disability now and it would be make it hard. Like it was like right. you brought something probably really interesting and diverse and then just was like, yeah. And then my arm healed because that's why I broke it. And now I don't feel like going to college anymore. It was like how it felt. Mm. It's like, hmm. yeah, so I didn't listen to it. Anytime you choose the radio over an audio book, you know, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Yes. No, that's real. Monte, what about you? Well, I don't really read things that aren't comic books. I read a lot of nonfiction, but I don't really read fiction things that aren't comic books. So I'm going to go with a TV show. And the one that sticks out in my mind so much, I think because I've just been so immersed in it and because I have a deep hatred of the network that it's on is the Vampire Diaries. (laughs) Um, I find the show fun sometimes or used to, but I think just an overexposure on the internet has made it so that there just every time the name of a character from that show is mentioned, it just like stabs deeply into my soul and I get this rage (laughs) inside of me. Because it's just everything that could be bad about a teen show is in the Vampire Diaries. Mm. Abusive relationships disguised as being cute, ignoring red flags, not even just romantic relationships, but friendships, manipulation of your friends and romantic partners, violence that's just completely glossed over and nobody even cares about it a few years later, bad Mm. writing of characters, everything that is bad with young adult fiction is in the Vampire Diaries. And on top of all that, it's a CW show, so it looks like shit, it sounds like shit, <laughs> and it has a shitty soundtrack. <laughs> so. Yes. Um, the Vampire Diaries did not age well. Like, you watch it and you're like, wow, um, no. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Also, like, yeah. I was watching it and I was like, again, I'm not to be that person that, like, brings up slavery, but I just don't know how we had a show about vampires from the South, one of whom was in the Confederate Army, and, like, no one thought to bring up. And then Bonnie, and they were just like, just write Bonnie out of the story or write her in for plot convenience. And you're like, there's something deeply, like, unaware about this, it, only in the way you could be in, like, 2006. So, yeah. Yes, bring bonnie back into the story just to abuse her and write her out again also actually bonnie was the bonnie was a character that was well written and then there was i can't think of the character's name but it was some vampire i don't remember her name but i did really like her 
it's okay. Not so it's not so a complete hatred. It. <laughs> well, no, it's just enough to bring you back in. The way those characters was treated, <laughs> you know, the way those <laughs> characters were treated was enough to make me hate it. That's so it's That's like fair. Bonnie is a good character, but I hate Bonnie in this show because she keeps getting killed over and over. Like they just yeah. love to kill Bonnie. Why? Like and her shit. friends don't ever care that she's been killed. Yikes. No one ever cares. Who are these friends? <laughs> Self-absorbed. It's yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Uh. It's taxing is what it is. Yeah. There's it's a exhausting. Little, yeah. It, it's kind of like the impermanency of death, too. You're like, it's kind of like in Dragon Ball Z when they like bring someone back for the fifth time. And you're like, oh, so this is just a game to you. Like, yeah. <laughs> the deaths don't like, okay, matter. So- this right. plot doesn't matter anymore. You right. know, if, no if somebody can literally die and then come back repeatedly, then it's like, okay. <laughs> like, like, what are right. we, like, we're literally meandering at this point. Like, honestly, there's no yeah. stakes. Right, right. Anyway. Although, <laughs> it's a lot in comics. So often. That's so true, often. But, there, but also, there's no stakes in comics. That's, so, that's also true. I also would like to posit that usually there's an arc in a comic, and so like you can have a restart. So you, I feel like there's a time where you just like go back again to the beginning, and everyone just accepts it. Like I feel like in the Vampire Diaries, I mean, maybe they really wanted a restart, but there wasn't one. So you got to the end, and you're like, <laughs> there's like 15 threads here, and none of them are getting tied out. So. Yeah, and the feeling of it was a little different too, because it's like a character will die and it'll go by with like nothing and there's no emo it doesn't it doesn't matter to any of the characters in the show either very much. So mm. like when that character comes back, it's like, oh wow, who would have thought this character would be coming back? Whereas in comics, like a lot of times people will be gone for like quite some time and the they're their absence is something that's felt by the other characters. Like when Jean Grey dies, it's not like everybody just moves on with their lives and they don't give a shit. Like they mm. refer to her constantly. <laughs> and then when she comes back, everybody's like, whoa, whoa, Jean's back. And it's like, what? Jean's back? Who could have predicted that? But it <laughs> seems like the characters are surprised by it. So. But like fair. when Bonnie dies, they're like, who? And it's like, okay, so. Yeah, Bonnie dies and everybody just forgets about her and then she comes back and they're like, who, who the fuck are you? And they're oh, just like in their frozen yogurt, oh, like, unbothered, okay. like, oh, I guess they're back. It's like normal <laughs> Tuesday night. Right. At the Froyo shack. I'm right. dead. Uh, hmm. So, originally, I was going to say the book Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury is like the uh. least favorite book i've ever read in my life um which i think remains true but i kind of like this like television show discussion so i'm gonna like actually talk more so about a tv show have any of y'all watched 20 somethings on netflix that sounds super familiar but i might have just scrolled past it yeah damn okay shit maybe i should talk about dandelion wine then but anyway basically (laughs) it's a show where it's like it's basically the real world but it's like in the 2021 2022 version it's like these like Eight, you know, 20 somethings like moved to Austin, Texas. And basically they're like trying to like start over and like find jobs and like find love and like all this other shit. And it just, it, it feels like it would have thrived in 2006. And it was Mm. wildly popular. Like it was number like in the top 10 of Netflix for like a minute. It It still might be. And like, it's just like the characters are just so flat and like the arcs are just so ridiculous and everyone is just so damn dramatic. And it's just very, it's like a show where like clearly nothing is happening, but they were like trying to like make shit pop. It's just like, 
it feels like out of sync in terms of time. Like it just feels mm. like not of this current era. So anyway, hated it, watched all of it in like three days. Yes. So is this Did you say it was a reality show or that it yes. was scripted? It is well, I mean well, probably the same thing, but like <laughs> technically a reality right. show. Yes. yes. Reality shows, I feel like in the nineties, have you ever like go back and watch like the first two episodes of the real world which i don't recommend it because it's kind of like watching paint dry not in like a mean way but <laughs> yeah it's just like I, it's almost real more realistic like no one's doing every, right. anything yeah any, you know like it would be literally like if you just followed me in my house like oh i got up i drank some tea i like read a book yes mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting in that way and then they realized that it was too boring for most americans so they started super scripting it or at least instigating things in reality. Yeah. I feel like Survivor made people realize that reality TV could be not boring. Yeah. Like, right. Oh yeah, definitely. I remember the first like you season. You had Survivor and the, Big Brother? The Yes. Mm. <sighs> Big Brother Big is brother. my shit. Like oh, I love it. <laughs> oh my god. Talk about quality. Mm. It, like with games and stuff or mm-hmm. not games, but like competitions and Yeah, it all has games yeah. in it now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like there was a second where people were interested in like, oh, a character study of humans, an anthropological study almost. And then television was like, that does not make the ratings pop. So <laughs> throw in a game, throw in yep. some conflict. I'm going to give my my final, like whatever, my worst book. And then we'll, we'll get in, I guess, to the plot, which Ugh. is our bad. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the reason, so this book you can't find it anywhere because it was like an indie published book. And Ooh. I guess the story is more interesting than the book itself. But basically, I was at a train station in a metropolitan area that I used to live in. And I was like, <laughs> my friends were like, Akko, stop talking to strangers. But I like, really enjoy talking to strangers. So I was <laughs> in this metro area and this man in a very well-dressed suit comes up to me, which I know sounds like I'm about to either be like sold like a vacuum. Or- <laughs> and he's like... <laughs> And he's like, hey, I wrote a book. Do you, do you want to buy it and read it? And at first I was like, this sounds like a scam. But I was like, well, it's a black man just trying to make it. And I was like, all right, yeah, <laughs> let me buy your book and read it and whatever. Love so that. I bought the book and I, I mean, I started reading it. And I was like, wow, this book is actually really bad. And mostly because <laughs> basically it was like <laughs> this young woman who... Uh, her brother was murdered and she was like her only goal was that her younger brother would you know stay on the straight and narrow and get married and i was like well that's a fine like one goal to have but as like a human being with flaws and character traits i'm sure she has other ambitions besides someone else's complete happiness i was wrong like by the end of the book she was like I'm so glad that this other person is married and happy with children. I was like, <laughs> what did she do with her one wild and precious oh life? Right. She got her brother married. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. Also, there was like an, an almost like inexcusable number of semicolons in this book. <laughs> I was like, I am more mad. I'm kind of mad about the plot, but I'm also like to the point where I was like, I don't know entirely how to properly use semicolons, but I'm like 100% sure you've used them wrong. It can't be this much. It can't. It can't. I've just never seen this use of semicolons before. That guy had not got to his M dash phase of his writing life yet. He was still on the semicolon phase. Right. So I tore up the book because I was like, (laughs) 
I'm offended, but I was like, I'm never going to run into this person again in a large metropolitan area with multiple train stations. Lo and behold, I do run into this guy again. Oh, and no. he's like, hey, wow. do you want to buy this book? And I was like, oh, I got to tell you that I, I actually already bought this book and I read it. And he was like, what did you think of it? And I was like, to be honest <laughs> with you, I don't think you want to know. And he was like, no, I, I really do. And I was like, well, I think you're, you wrote this woman character really poorly almost like she wasn't a person or a woman and he was like well that's your opinion i don't think you really know that and i like sat there for a second in silence what he did ask you right you did warn him and i did warn him but i think what got me even more than all that was like i was like i think and i could be mistaken but i was like i'm pretty sure i identify as a woman I'm pretty sure I would know if like women have ambitions, but he was very convinced that I was wrong, and I really didn't want to like, I don't know, yuck his yum or whatever. So I didn't have it. <laughs> yuck his yum. <laughs> but he really, he was like, "You don't know what women want." I was like, "Oh, uh, that's oh, surprise really? to me." Like, wow. Well, I think it's very obvious how we got to the point to write a character. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. Anyway, so there we go, y'all. That is our little section on our worst novels, at least for the moment. But we're going to take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, we're going to do a deep dive. Well, first, we're going to do a, a cute little summary. And then SJW is going to join us again for our discussion. we are (laughs) so sjw is gonna join us again for the discussion section in a minute Mm -hmm. here but before that we're gonna give y'all a quick summary of events so yes the story takes place in like the magical year of 2038 i know sounds kind of wild but mm-hmm. oh, so does 2022 at this point. But anyway. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> right? Shit. Um, can you believe that we were born in the last century? Like, yeah. It was really wild. That is actually kind of wild. So anyway, our protagonist, who has nothing to do with us, is a black woman named Hazel Johnson. Hazel. <laughs> and the story starts off with her talking to a younger woman. And the younger woman is asking Hazel if she can live with her because her parents kicked her out when they found out she was gay. In 2038, which I'm like, parents, get it together. Like, get it sorted. You know, it's we got like flying cars in the background. Like, let's really try to figure this out. I have a discussion piece around that later, but but I'll save it for, for the discussion. Ooh, I love discussion pieces. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so Hazel's like, of course, you can stay with me. You know, that's that's something I definitely can do. And she's like, you know, actually, it was even worse back in my day. And then suddenly, we, as the audience, realize that this is a framing device. And we're about to have a flashback to a larger <laughs> story. <laughs> So like the little pinwheel spins and we all go back in time <laughs> to 1963. That's right. And we're in Patterson, New Jersey. I know. Very not futuristic. This, 
this is so random but like have you ever watched um, that's a raven yes <laughs> so you know how like every time raven like has a vision yeah. and there's like that like tunnel before we actually see what the vision was i literally imagined us in that going back in time <laughs> to 1963 anyway irrelevant continue right, Patterson, like, new jersey <laughs> none of these things happen but somehow there's like a psychedelic time traveling stint with like me and marcy <laughs> we have like colorful glasses and we play tambourines anyway it's 1963 and Hazel is 13 <laughs> years old and Marcy and Akko are not in the story. And she's at her bingo that she goes to with her grandma every Sunday mm-hmm. after church. And mm-hmm. one day, another girl walks in named Marie McRae, shows up mm-hmm. to play bingo and Hazel is flustered. I mean, she Show. is sweating. She is bothered. She's just, like, like hot and bothered. She cannot, just, just, it's too much for your girl. So sprung she's like, like a damn slinky. Just, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so she's like, yo, ma, like grandma, like who is this new chick in town? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Like uh, I-35, like B-13. She's like, I think that's the neighbor's kid. She's just at your age. She'll probably go to your school. Like, Child, somebody's grandbaby. Right. Oh. <laughs> like, Child, I don't know. I can't hear him calling the numbers at the time. <laughs> <laughs> she's like i actually have money to win like i actually don't give a fuck about what's going on with you right now right also but there's like a little hint they're like oh the pastor's wife always wins the bingo so you know this might be like a rigged bingo game anyway mm. that's like a b plot that's not it's like a z plot so anyway the teacher so <laughs> so the next day marie comes into class you know obviously for the story to continue they need to have some ability to meet up and see each other continuously <laughs> Um, and so, yes, Marie is in her class. And of course, the only open seat is next to Marie, which I don't know if that was like a segregation thing or like just like a circumstance thing, because this book is like oddly silent on anything having to do with race, even though Hazel is a dark skinned black woman. And Marie is like kind of a lighter skin chalk like in the middle how do they say what did they say she's like caramel honey glaze yeah, something they, they, the they, they, yeah. yeah there's a lot of honey glaze but yeah caramel skin give me very cheerios teas you know right. um, like. <laughs> um so anyway so the teacher's like uh, i don't know hazel show her around and hazel's like my heart is literally palpitating out of my body but yeah sure i think i could concentrate long enough to do that and the teacher's like, anyway, 2x plus 5x equals, and she's like, not listening to her. So they quickly become fast friends, Hazel and Marie. And, you know, Marie's mm-hmm. like, California is great, but this place is Dollsville. And Hazel's like, what? She's like, yeah, it kind of is Dollsville. And then uh, Marie gives Hazel a nickname. Because Marie moved from California, right? Yes. Marie came from yeah. California. And then she gives Hazel a nickname, L, which... I didn't really see how L came from Hazel. I guess Hazel, E-L. Okay, sure. I'll take it. Anyway, Marie even kisses Hazel on the cheek after their initial hot chocolate date. And after that, they just kind of bond. So, like, for four years, they're, like, thick as thieves. What is it? Is that right? Thick as thieves? Yeah, thick as thieves. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say. <laughs> I had a moment. I was like, what thick? Thick what? Like, what are the thieves doing? <laughs> anyway, four years later, it's 1967. <laughs> this was not in the novel either. And Hazel and Marie are playing bingo with their aunties and Marie's grandma. And... Marie's grandma kind of just like makes a slick comment about their friendship. She's kind of like, you guys are real close. Like you guys really hang out a lot. You guys really like to be around each other. Each other. And mm. Marie's kind of like, yeah, we do. We're really, really close. We're, one might say thick as thieves. 
Anyway. Um, <laughs> and she like looked out to the audience and like only us were like, ah, yes, 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 yes. Everyone else deeply confused. Right. <laughs> They're like flipping through their, their comic. Like, what is that a reference to? Anyway. So, <laughs> why are it's like, did Hazel just break Hazel? the fourth wall? Like, what the fuck? Right. It's uh, so confusing. <laughs> anyway, so Marie gets angry and stomps out and Hazel follows after. And Marie explains that she caught her grandma kissing one of the married deacons, which Akko's theory is mm-hmm. that why that's why the pastor's daughter is always winning at bingo, but that's a complete theory Child, for the internet. Listen, and when it's money on the line, I feel like that's a crime, but okay. Well, there we go. But anyway, <laughs> that could be something I completely made up. So then Marie told her mom about the whole situation, and her mom told her grandma, and her grandma has been just kind of mean to Marie ever since. And she's mm-hmm. crying, she's upset, and I think there's more at play. I do think there's like an underlying sense that her grandma knows about her queerness, especially considering like the plot that we learn and like the like not the epilogue but like there's some extra chapters mm-hmm. so she's crying and upset and then she and Mer- and uh hazel kiss and there's like a display of emotion that reveals Ooh. that they've liked each other the whole time then they kiss again in front of marie's house and they get caught by her grandma and then all hell breaks loose. <sighs> i know it's just so upsetting it's so upsetting you know it's 1967 they know that no one's gonna accept their love although it's 1967 so maybe more people accept their love they just gotta like move yeah. maybe up to new york maybe san fran anyway they, they don't they can't do that okay because they're 13 no they're like 17 years old and yeah. marie you know hazel like sneaks out of the house like climbs a tree while she's like crying first you know she goes home her parents all in a tizzy about respectability this that and the other She's mm-hmm. crying. Then she sneaks out. She climbs a tree to Marie's window. And she's like, let's run away together. Or you can hide in my basement. <laughs> you know, the kind of plans you make as a teenager. The running away might have worked. The hiding in the basement, I don't know about that one. Although, yeah. <laughs> if you've seen Parasite, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, so. Maybe. <laughs> probably not, though. So Marie's like, um, well, these, like, you know, brainstorming sessions are really helpful. But I actually can't do any of those things because my parents are definitely forcing me to move down south. And they're def- mm. definitely forcing me to get married to a human. It's irrelevant who. So the next year is 1968. And Hazel is essentially forced to marry an Air Force pilot named James Doan. Doanin? Downing? Downing? James Downing. Downing. I think you're right. Good call. And so he goes off to serve in Vietnam. By the way, it's 1968. They really don't mention anything about the civil rights, but that's fine. And then like at all. Like zero. Well, well, yeah. I was kind of confused. <laughs> anyway, but he's in, like, because we're talking about Vietnam, so it's not like we're in a political book. Anyway, so he's off in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> So he's up in Vietnam. There's like a whole subplot there that's revealed later. And he mm-hmm. comes but Yeah, there's definitely, it might even be a main plot. But he Come comes back and they end up having three kids, Isaiah, Joshua, and Marion, who's named after Marie. And, you know, they're, they're, they build a life together. Like it's like a real life. And, you know, it's, it's very community and family based. And, mm-hmm. and but it's just kind of clear that she she loves her kids. She even loves James, but they're not yeah. happy. They're not fully happy. There's something missing, and it mm. all kind of stems back from this this moment as a teenager with Marie and this love she could never forget. And so we also learned that like Hazel is not the only one harboring secrets in this marriage. So there is that. But um, mm-hmm. we get some hints that like <laughs> James and Hazel basically they never have kids unless they're you know try to have a kid and that causes tension in the relationship so what you have here is kind of a picture perfect looking family that may have some stuff under the surface so mm. anyway yeah yeah 
and <laughs> I keep like snickering. This book is just, well, I mean, we'll talk more about it with SJW, but like, I just, I'm, I'm kind of here for the mess. Like I'm kind of, yeah. here. anyway. So yes, so that that's very much what's going on. And fast forwarding a bit. So we, we're, we're fast forwarding now into the year of 2015. So at this point, Hazel is 65 years old. Mm-hmm. And we see that she's having some kind of like family reunion type situation so like you know at this point like her kids have kids and like you know mm-hmm. it's a whole thing like the family's all together whoop, 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 whoop. so hazel's like chilling they're like you know doing the thing and eventually um hazel ends up going to bingo with marion and um some of the other women in the family and while they're there marion's like girl i don't know why you'd be taking me to bingo mm-hmm. you literally how many how many decades have we been playing bingo and yo ass <laughs> hazel has won literally zero times like it has never actually happened and as marion is literally putting a figurative period on that sentence hazel gets bingo and wins in front of everybody (laughs) and so she's like oh my god bingo fuck it up so she stands up to like collect her things and sees marie all the way (gasps) across the room they instantly see one another doves and shit flying in the background and they kiss right then and there boom as if nothing happened and everyone was like kind of gagging like and it was sort of an immediate no, it was a chop for Mary. And she was like, girl, what the fuck was that? Wow, who was this whole ass woman that you were kissing? Like, you fucking up the family. You have a whole ass husband. Like, what is going on? Right. She's like, I got questions. Like, she's like, I got, I got, I got, I got a number, a number of questions. So she kind of like leaves for a second. She's still like in the vicinity, but basically Marie and Hazel get to talking and essentially Marie talks about how like she's married as well. And like, mm-hmm. they kind of both just confide in the fact that like, you know, despite all these years, they never actually forgot about each other. They've no. both actively been sort of thinking about the other over the, over the course of these various decades. And so while Hazel's like elated, she's also conflicted about leaving James. And yeah. like, and so she's like, oh, like, I don't know. And so Marie's like, look, I'm an attorney. Here's my business card. Has my cell phone number on the back. Just send me a text. If, you, you know, if you're up to it, just text me. And Marie just kind of like confidently walks away knowing that Hazel as is going to text her in mm-hmm. about maybe about four hours. So... <laughs> so Hazel, <laughs> Marion, and everybody else gets home, and it's just like kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, like all the family's there, and Hazel's like, "Hey, James, you know, do you wanna wanna you know come upstairs for a little bit, chat with me for a little bit? You know, I'm not feeling well. Would love some assistance." And James is like, "Okay, cool, cool, cool." So at this point, Hazel is like, "Hey, James, let's just let's just yeah, you know, let's just jump right into it. I'm queer, and my." girlfriend from like my teen years like we reunited today and we actually kissed in front of everybody at bingo it was like kind of a scandal (laughs) so um yeah and james is like freaking out goes downstairs it's like you know everybody you know hazel's really not feeling well you know i think why don't y'all just go home you know we'll we'll reunite next week you know Mm -hmm. everyone leaves really like cute exits and then basically goes upstairs and is like hazel what the entire (laughs) fuck are you talking about like girl what the fuck so they're kind of going back and forth. He's like, girl, how could you do this to me? And then Hazel's like, look, I'm not really, when you're ready to talk to me like a person, we can have this conversation. What I'm not, what we I'm about to do is have you yell at me. So mm-hmm. you can sleep on the couch and I'll be up here texting Marie, which, I mean, she didn't say that, but she did do that. Um, <laughs> she was literally up all night text, texting Marie. It was like, it was kind of a mess. So the next day, you know, obviously there's tension between Hazel and mm-hmm. James. And so Hazel like goes to therapy. She's like talking to her therapist about it. And she's like, yeah, you know, honestly, like, it's so, like, Marie just came and literally swoop out of nowhere, and, like, I'm really happy to see her, but, like, at the same time, you know, I know it's wrong, and, like, and then the therapist is like, ooh, girl, let me stop you right there. Like, ain't nothing wrong with you 
liking Marie or liking women or like mm-hmm. anything like that. Like literally love is love. Like girl, you got it. And Hazel was like, huh, no one's ever actually like said that to me before. Mm. So that kind of plants a seed in her mind that like, okay, maybe this whole thing with Marie, maybe we can explore it a little bit. So the two of them meet up, Marie and Hazel, they go to like, dinner and they're like you know make out and shit and you know hazel's still conflicted she doesn't really want to face james because she's like oh god that's, that's gonna be awkward so she like runs to hang I mean, out at with this her point she is kind of they're they're just kind of cheating <laughs> like, yeah like, they, like they literally are just cheating right? which like, is like so it's not like you know but anyway life is messy continue sorry right and the, and the book is like kind of sympathetic to this but which we'll talk about yeah, but, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically hazel's like okay let me just see my grandbabies and just like kind of just have some space between me and james mm-hmm so later that night she goes back home she sees james and she's like look james let's just keep it a stack let's just keep it a buck like this ain't it Mm -hmm. like i think we both like the idea of one another i think both of us you know we enjoy our family we enjoy elements of our lives here but like neither of us are particularly fully realized in this relationship and james Mm -hmm. is kind of having a hard time accepting this but as they have their conversation you know both of them james included is like yeah, you know, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't really it. Um, and then James is like, yeah, and H- Hazel, by the way, you ain't the only one with um, mm. queer tendencies. And so the book kind of like doesn't really go into detail. Essentially, we won't go into like a whole thing here, but basically like James, similarly to Hazel, like when he was um, at war in Vietnam, had actually met another soldier named Adam. And the two of them had essentially yeah. this like affair going on for like 20 years. Right, between, like, 20 I think, years. 20 actually, years, between like, the years of, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I was just like, they were like, Every year we'd be up and like pretend we were going to a conference, but actually they were just like having romantic dinners and shit. And I was like, well, this is like a really cute, you know, B plot. But I was like, wait, it's not a cute B plot, Akko. He's cheating. <laughs> He's literally cheating. Um, <laughs> so they, this affair went on until so like, I think it ended in like 1988. Yep. I and think, they got married in 68, yes. which means that basically the first like 20 years of their relationship, James had a whole, you know what? Yeah. So James so like, is like, is, how wrong is Hazel? You know, if, if it just, I know, come right, on, it's been come like three days and she told listen, everybody anyway. James was cheating for 20 years and like, best believe like in between their conferences, like him and Adam, I'm pretty sure there was other things going on too. Mm. So James comes forward with all this and Hazel's like, ooh, that's some tea and I'm kind of mad about it, but low-key, like, I I think this is really just confirmation that, like, let's end this. Yeah. So essentially, they decide, okay, let's get a divorce. So they, like, tell the kids, um, Isaiah, Joshua, and Marianne, and they're like, look, like, we're getting a divorce. This is why. They basically just kind of tell them everything mm. the, the 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 kids didn't handle it super well at first, especially Marianne. Marianne was, like, super pissed about it. Yeah. Um, but eventually through time, through like family therapy and stuff, they were able to kind of like heal. Largely, Marion was just sort of like, it wasn't even that she was like, oh, my parents are gay. She was just kind of like, damn, like Marie just smooth came out of nowhere and is fucking my family up. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Like, we were really, really happy. Like, what is, oh, why is everything changing? And so like, which like fair, you know, like this did like kind of come out of nowhere. I do think, and I mean, seeing it from the perspective of like a kid, it, it's pretty well known that divorces are hard for for kids, even adult kids, honestly, it's not not like the easiest thing to watch the picture of what you thought was your reality suddenly shatter, and then for everyone to be like, actually, this whole thing has been a lie the whole time. Especially when you don't see it coming. Exactly. Like I think Mary, like they were literally like, y'all were happy Tuesday. It's yep. Saturday. What happened? happened? Like I think that's right. where they were like, wow, like this really is kind of coming out of nowhere, and so. Basically, you know, they're, they, it's going to be a process, but essentially, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of see that like 
more or less, things are kind of starting to, the family is slowly starting to heal. Eventually, Hazel and Marie actually move in together. Yeah. Um, and Marion, who was actually having, you know, who was having the hardest time, actually kind of comes to accept their relationship and mm-hmm. is like, you know what, Marie, like, I, my beef ain't with you, you know. I, ultimately, I just want to see my mom happy. I want to see my dad happy. And you make her happy. So, like, I'm funny. happy for y'all type of thing. Mm-hmm. So... The next year, they get married, Hazel and Marie, um, and it's really cute. They go on a honeymoon and do a bunch of other things. We kind of just see like a montage of Hazel and Marie's life together at this point. So essentially, we see that like two years later in 2018, Hazel actually graduated from fashion school, which is actually really nice because like Hazel up to this point, like largely worked in the home. And mm-hmm. so like, and she really enjoyed making dresses and like other pieces of fashion, but she never really had the chance to explore really explore that. like that. So yeah. she was like, you know, like though I'm going to be significantly older than like other students, it's not too late. Like I can like mm-hmm. activate, you know, this, this dream that I've always had and, and, and make this happen. So we see that like the two of them really bring out like really great qualities in, in one another. Fast forwarding a bit in 2033, we see that Marie starts to develop some sort of like neurodegenerative disease, something to the effect of like Alzheimer's or dementia, something to that effect and starts to just like lose her memories. And so Hazel finds that like, she has to kind of like reintroduce herself to Marie, like, more or less daily and like the family actually has this like really beautiful ritual where they like will come together like every week and just kind of like share stories and like kind of reintroduce themselves to marie and like Mm. this is something they they do every week for like five years um and every time marie's like who are these people like how do we know them and then um hazel's like oh like you know like i I don't know what she said to her exactly but basically she's like oh like you know these are your family you know blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a way to just like kind of keep activating those um those memories and stuff so eventually in 2038, which again is the present day, there is a day where, you know, Marie's in the hospital. Things aren't looking great. Hazel ends up getting in bed with her, kind of like cuddling with her. And both of them actually pass away that same night, like kind of holding on to one another. Mm-hmm. And then the comic essentially ends with like a with a picture of them like in heaven, like playing bingo. And it was just really beautiful. Yeah, it's really cute. So that's kind of how the comic officially ends. Now, the version that we read was called the Jackpot Edition. And so Mm -hmm. it had like an anthology of like different comics that take place within the Bingo Love universe, but like weren't, I guess, part of like the, like they they, they add to the story, but like Mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not like in in the the central story necessarily. So here we sort of see details of like James's affair. We see some details around like, you know, kind of Marie and Hazel's like honeymoon experience Mm -hmm. to kind of a a comic about their sex life, which was really dope. Yeah, I liked Um, it a lot. There was one about like Hazel going back to school, Marion kind of doing this really cute like bingo themed um, scavenger hunt to like Marie and um and Hazel to mm-hmm. kind of like as as a form of like her trying to be like oh like you know I really want to apologize for like how I acted before I wanted to like kind of do the scavenger hunt and like kind of arrange this date for the two of you. Just really, really cute. Um, we also see one with Marie's kids actually at the end. That one was really fascinating too. And they were kind of like reading through like, you know, their mother's diary entries like as a child and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So so just really interesting. Slice of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just nice things going on. Also, just an interesting little, some some tea to finish mm. this plot summary. So apparently <laughs> the reason why Marie moved to Patterson, New Jersey to begin with is because she met this girl named, I think her name was Alicia in California. Mm-hmm. And... That was like her first crush and like they got caught kissing. And so I guess her family was like, girl, chow, you about to go live with your grandmama in Jersey. But then the gag is she met Hazel. Mm. So <laughs> that's kind that. of that on that. So yeah, that's that's pretty much the the, the plot summary. Um, yeah, just a nice little cute slice of life situation. And yes, so let's take a break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we'll get into all of our thoughts and feelings. We'll be rejoined by our friends from SJW Comics Podcast and kind of hop into it from there. 
Woo! And we're back. Woo! So we are joined by our friends yet again. And um, I, I think so. Usually, what we do is like we like to be like, you know, let's go into our general thoughts and feelings, blah, blah, blah. We like, which we'll do, I guess. But like, I kind of have a question for the group as we like have a conversation about this. So, like, what do we think the symbolism is behind like bingo specifically as the game that brought them together, um, Marie and, and Hazel? I feel like bingo is a black church thing. Like it's just, I feel like bingo is, I, I'm, I'm sure white churches do bingo too, but I feel like bingo is very closely tied to like, in my mind, when I think of bingo, I think of older people Mm -hmm. and I think of churches. Mm. So it's kind of, since this is a story about older women having a relationship that would be frowned on by the church, I think it's very cute that it's like bingo that brings them together because in my mind, it's something that's associated with religious institutions. Mm. I don't Mm. really think, I mean, I guess we played bingo in school. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody can play bingo, but that doesn't negate the, like the images in your mind when you think of bingo. Cause I Mm. too think of older people when I think of bingo But I think it did a great job of having like two parallel scenes or at least two parallel like conversations that are kind of because you have bingo and you have the older generation in this conversation where they don't approve of Mm. the relationship. And then at the end, well, actually at the beginning, I guess, um, technically Mm. (laughs) because it's a conversation that she's having with a younger generation where when she was young, the older people didn't agree with her wanting to be in a relationship with another woman. Whereas when they're obviously older, now they can help they can be like a nicer generation to the younger generation and more accepting. So there's like a couple of those conversations that tie in really nicely. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. Gotcha. I think it's it's a really good metaphor for like community, not having to be in the church scene specifically, but the community, especially the community of women that builds Mm. up around that. I'm also wondering if there's some kind of metaphor about like waiting for your time or like, Mm. because they Mm. finally get together way after they met way after like the first time they run into each other and fall in love. And when they meet up again is the first time that Hazel wins at bingo. Yeah. So, but she has a little conversation before that where she's like, you know, I keep coming because, you know, it's what I do. I keep trying. I've got my, like, like some kind of metaphor about optimism for love or optimism mm. for life. I like that. That's, is, uh, I'm so glad you said that, Veronica. Cause yeah, I, I, that's kind of where my mind was going to. Like, just like, even just like when you're playing the game, the anticipation of like, oh, like, am I about to like, is it like, is it my time? Like, that, that's, I, I feel like just the anticipation that you, and, and and also just kind of how passive it can feel sometimes when you're playing bingo. Like it's just like you're just kind of like sitting there and like when the when the moment comes, it comes. And I feel like that's just something that like I don't know culturally we tend to sort of speak about love in that sense. And so yeah, that's kind of like where my where my mind was going with with that. 
Yeah. It's not a game that you strategize for. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't strategize for it. You don't do anything. You just. Right. Yes. <laughs> the most you can do is take the chance. Right. Or even, like, build up your chances. I know people, like, we didn't. My church didn't have specifically bingo, but I've been in bingo circles tangentially in other places. But I'd see people with like six cards in front of them. It's like mm. they oh, are building up their chances. Mm. <laughs> and Hazel you is going. Cheating? It's not cheating. You're allowed to play more <laughs> cards. You just have to buy them. Oh, fair, fair. That's oh. true. Yeah. Yeah. And then capitalism <laughs> went again. No, I. I, I <laughs> I do think there's also something about, um, you're right, there's a serendipitous aspect of it. Like, you know, you never know when the moment will strike, but you leave yourself open for the opportunity by going. Mm. I also think the book is about a group of people who are older. Not to say that like, right, we associate being with older. Maybe it's not. I don't, it's either older or like the last day of class where your teacher's like, time to play bingo. Here's your <laughs> free slice of pizza and a Jolly Rancher. Anyway, but but yeah, I do think it's like, the book is trying to focus on an older demographic and it's trying to show love as outside of your typical like 15 to 30 age range where apparently is the only time you're allowed to fall in love. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think putting it in that setting really allows for that. Not just, uh, first of all, it's like intergenerational because Hazel's like 13 when she's with her grandmother. And then as you pointed out, Veronica, she like becomes, no, it was Melissa. Someone said like you become that generation. <laughs> and so I think it's, yeah, just a good way to f- frame a love story with people who are older. I dug it, dug it a lot. Yeah. My kind of follow up was I really liked sort of how authentic all the bodies were in this story. Mm, okay, authentic yeah, is a strong word. Sure. It was a comic book. But I do think <laughs> that they tried really hard to portray bodies in like a super a healthy, like human way, not just different sizes, but also just like women aging, <laughs> which is a <laughs> thing that women do and it doesn't make us any less human. I know that's wild to think about, but... Um, gasp. Gasp. So I really, <laughs> I really dug that in the story and i was like i actually don't think i've seen that very often and that's like kind of upsetting like i think marie had stretch marks she had like yeah. a yeah. c-section cut like just a yeah. lot of stuff that was like yeah that's uh that they could have they could have not had it was like one panel they could have mm-hmm. just not had that panel it would have right. been so easy to not include it but i i also really enjoyed that little yeah. just bits that make them feel like real people like yeah yeah so i dug it yeah i think there was also there was like um so there was there was the diversity in body types and um and all of that and then both especially the main characters but all the characters in the story were drawn with so much dignity if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like even at Mm -hmm. the end when marie is suffering from alzheimer's like she has so much dignity like her obviously she looks different but she doesn't look like diminished or mm. you know they didn't draw her to be super haggard or anything there were definitely mm. those things that yeah. showed that she was you know suffering from alzheimer's like her hair wasn't done as much as it was in earlier panels but there was still so much dignity in the way that she was depicted which i think is good especially for older queer characters because i feel like in a lot of queer media older characters and things that are associated with aging like alzheimer's or battle scars or mm. not battle scars stretch marks um she called them battle scars. <laughs> uh, mm. and wrinkles those things like they become very negative in a lot of our media yeah. mm-hmm. um and 
and by R I mean queer. But here they were, it was all just treated with so much dignity and respect uh, for older people, which I appreciated. Yeah. 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 Say so even with um, there aren't any villains in this comic necessarily, but in the beginning, uh, their grandmothers, you know, disapprove of their relationships and they're arguing with them. Like even they, because it's very common. I think I was just like listening to a podcast about this. Um, it's very common to portray villains as outwardly ugly or outwardly, you know, different in some way to physically portray their mm-hmm. evil or their badness or just like being the bad. Like their grandmas look fine. Everyone in this book is just human, has mm. physical dignity at least. And yeah. honestly, everyone is like really pretty in a comic book way. Yeah. Like no one, no one's getting pot shots taken at them for their looks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's, I think we both noted, Marcy, that we like the, the writing, and not the writing, the art style. Oh I, my I, God, I love this art style, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's really gorgeously drawn, and it, you know, I'm always going to love if someone draws dark-skinned characters well, since that's, there's just not a lot of that. But I think, the I like that your, your point, Monty, about being drawn with dignity in the sense that, like, it's very easy to make people into caricatures um Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to like sort of take that method to make your point but as you're saying veronica like all the characters just look like humans and they're disagreeing about things they still just look like people disagreeing and you know and that's kind of how real life is so i really like that the way that was drawn in the story just aside from the art just being like super gorgeous um so yeah yeah, honestly, this book was just so refreshing. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like there was just, I mean, it, it was black as hell, like, as far as just, like, the things <laughs> yeah. that, like, I mean, the characters, but people, like, how, like, I was, like, clearly black people were part of the creation of this <laughs> comic, um, which I really, really appreciated. And also just, like, it was very interesting because I felt like reading it, like, it, it very much felt like I was like encroaching on some kind of like grown folks business. Like this, like this was the epitome <laughs> of grown folks business. Like Hazel and you know her marriage and all this other shit. I'm like, I, these are like scenes that like I would not like at my current age demographic be privy to a lot of these kind of conversations or dynamics or like be cued right. into what's going on. So it was really nice kind of seeing that and seeing just like the. And I think they're you know culturally there you know can be just a lot of like you know reverence respect for elders and things like that so it's interesting to just kind of see like still like the politics this sort of social Mm. like tension and things that can still exist like as we continue to go through life and things like that which is like of course that like like i know that that exists like as a fact but i think as far as like media depiction um akko you make this joke a lot it really does feel like sometimes like after like fucking i don't know like 30 it's like oh well life is doesn't really exist like you just are kind (laughs) of you're just not like it just it just ends for everybody um and so it was really nice just having it be so centered on them in old age especially that that it wasn't like because i thought going in okay maybe the book is going to show a lot of their relationship when they were younger and then at the very end they'll kind of reunite Mm. like as they're older but like the vast majority of the book was them like 65 plus and I was like, I live like yeah. I just I it, it was very refreshing, especially in a queer narrative to know in so many ways. Like, I mean, we see it in their relationship, but also even just in Hazel's career and like other things that like it truly really just isn't too late that like life. Yeah. Like you just got to just keep living. And I was like, this is just really it was really heartfelt. Um, yeah. And, and that, I feel like it took away from some of that anxiety of like feeling like you have to figure it all out, like by a certain time. 
Yeah. Like, I really like that point. Like, it's never too late. I, I think, yeah, it, it made you like, it's hard to imagine like starting going to fashion school at like 65 or 60 or wherever she started. But like, mm-hmm. because again, like, yeah, we're not, apparently we have like no ambitions after 35. So I, I really, really dug that. And I also dug, I was thinking about the other day, I was like, man, I've, there's a lot of like depressing queer novels where like they're like and then the person never saw each other again or they couldn't be together and they just not you're like why does this have to be so sad why can't they right. just be happy right <laughs> and i like this book because it wasn't like it wasn't unrealistic like yeah they had like there's a great gatsby comparison in here but i'll like pave over it for now but like it wasn't unrealistic <laughs> like they had to forget about the lives they'd lived for 40 years or whatever they still had to address that but like they could still be together and they could still be happy and i like that they're like this isn't just about i don't know like an infatuation it's also about growing old with someone and dealing Mm. with the realities of slowly you know dying and and death and i i really i thought that gave a lot of nuance to like just a queer love stories that i was like woo and it was all done (laughs) in such cute pictures and i was like didn't make you like have an existential crisis about why why (laughs) society like won't let some people be happy so i really dug that too yeah no that's 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 so real um you said i was gonna say something in response to what you just said Uh, (laughs) yes so the depressing piece absolutely when i was reading it the whole time i was like when's it going left when's it when's it gonna happen and then it just kept being happy i was like damn so y'all get married okay so like everyone's on board okay so we all live okay interesting so like we're just happy and then like even like when it's like okay like marie has alzheimer's and like you know we know that like she's going to die soon like even when she died it was like it was i mean it was sad but like not i don't know it it, like the ending was just so like beautiful i was like Mm -hmm. this is i'm not even damn i just really (laughs) needed this this is basically like the non full of like Monte was complaining about Vampire Diaries, bad relationship dynamic version mm. of the Notebook. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the exact same story, um, but without emotional blackmail and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. And obviously, taking notes on Hazel's ability to set boundaries and have conversations like adult Mm. conversations with people Mm. and then when other people aren't able to have those kind of like they're not there yet emotionally to have an adult conversation she like shuts it down and is like we'll talk later and then she does follow up and talks with them later and then Mm. they have like really rich and like important conversations and i'm like damn hazel I'm going to just write this down and like next time if I have an argument with somebody, I'm going to like kind of take this method because this is um, because it it also wasn't like unrealistically perfect. Like she still Mm -hmm. got mad and was like resentful in a few places and said a few hurtful things. But sometimes. Yeah. But never to the point where it became like an unhealthy argument and not mm. lacking that to the point where it was like oh hazel is the perfect self-therapist who knows exactly how yeah. to do everything it was just a very normal yeah. and you know it's an argument so it's not the healthiest best thing but they got their words out and they all said what they wanted to say without purposefully hurting each other any more than was you know reactionary in the moment it right. was nice to see yeah. 
Yeah, she had human reactions, but it seemed like she very quickly became aware that um, she was having a reaction that wasn't super healthy and that the conversation wasn't going to be productive. Right. And I feel like I'm not going to say that media like portrays very romanticized views of really intense fighting that's unhealthy, but I guess I did just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Can't take it back. And so when I was reading this, I was like, I really think I don't, I can't really name that many other pieces of media where I've seen someone be like, here's a really strong boundary. We'll talk about this later. Or even just like, this is a fight. And this is like, I can understand why everyone's upset. Like, (sighs) Hazel and Marie. You can't just like cheat on your spouse's randomly Come on. at a bingo game <laughs> Come and, expect, on. and expect everyone to be okay with it. But also, right. what's his name? James, James Dominion, James, I can't remember her. her James uh, Downing. Yeah. Also, 20 years of an affair. Come, Come on. on. Like, you the couldn't mess. have, that's a long time to have an affair. But also, like, understanding the complete politics of the day. It's like, how are we going to, like, yeah. Like, cheating's wrong, sure, and, like, lying to your spouse is terrible. But also, there's, like, a social structure here where we create a structure that doesn't allow people to be who they are. And then Mm. you're like, okay, fine, if you're going to cause things to have to be taboo, you're going to, why, what what output are you expecting? So (laughs) I was like, I feel for their characters really strongly because 1963 was really not the time to be rocking the boat. Like it's actually terrifying. So I, when I got to the point of their conflict, I was like, you know, this is a really human conflict too. Like things happen socially in life that allow for different possibilities that weren't there before. It's kind of like they come in all colors, but like in reverse. (laughs) So we come in all colors. um, The husband and the wife, I don't know, whatever. The husband's like kind of racist and he's like kind of the worst. And the wife is like, they're kind of in love, but then like the civil rights movement happens and he's just like, social change, this is terrible. And you're like, isn't it not terrible because you're in an interracial relationship and you should actually be happy? And he's like, I don't want society to change. And then the wife <laughs> is like, wow. I, I liked feel- it that way. Right, like genuinely. And the wife's like, wow, I feel way more agency in this situation. And we talked about in that book, like everyone made their social decisions based on how things were and then things changed. And mm. and that's kind of what happens here too, you know. In a less depressing, we come in all colors, a little bit depressing. But in this one, it's a little bit more yeah. optimistic. So, yeah. No, that's real. I yeah. really like. I... Oh, go no, ahead. keep going. No, 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 keep going, Monte. Um, so I really liked this story's depiction of infidelity and the issue of divorce, especially a divorce later in life with adult mm. children. I think that a lot of times when there's a story that has the divorce, the divorce of an older couple or some kind of or infidelity involving a queer couple specifically, um, the story tends to hand wave those things away. Like these kids Mm. don't have a right to be upset about their parents divorce because they're Mm. grown. They're out of the house. And it's like, well, that's not that's bullshit. That's that's (laughs) still right. Um, or, you know, it's okay that this person had an affair because they, you know, it's okay for this guy to cheat on his wife with a man because he's gay and he wasn't able to be gay. So, you know, mm. to have sex with who he wants to have sex with. And it's like, um, no, he 
he made a commitment to someone. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that this story did not hand wave those things away. It held them accountable to their decisions. Like they said, you can't just have an, like, you can't just have an affair just because you weren't able to, you know, be happy before. Like you have to actually deal with that. You have to go through getting a divorce. You have to go through having this conversation. Mm -hmm. You have to have an adult conversation with your kids. Like your kids are going to be mad. Yeah, they're going to be mad and their anger is justified. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't give them the right to disrespect you like continuously. And Hazel made that very clear. But at the same time, the story wasn't vilifying them for Mm -hmm. being mad about it. Um, It wasn't even vilifying James who betrayed her. Mm. Um, And even he was shown, you know, somewhat sympathetically because she continuously said like he did his job. He performed within Mm -hmm. the social expectations of the time. Um, And I think that that's really important because a lot of times in stories like in queer stories, it vilifies people who their emotional reaction is perfectly normal. Like it's Mm. perfectly normal for a spouse to be upset about infidelity, even if they understand the motivation behind Mm. it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. 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 And, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, I feel like, (laughs) I I feel like I've seen so many pieces of media where if someone were to be upset at this form of infidelity, then it's like, oh my gosh, this person's homophobic, like blah, blah, blah. Like somehow that is in itself homophobic. But it's like, no, exactly to your point, like, no, like this part, this is an act of betrayal though. Um, and I think the, with I think the kind of um, the outcome of that kind of depiction is that it sort of portrays queer people as sort of like inherently self-absorbed or just sort of like Deceptive. this like inherent selfishness and like being like oh well like my desire overrides any kind of commitments I made to anyone else so like fuck like fuck all your feelings like <laughs> I don't really give a shit like that's like obviously very pernicious and terrible and so yeah exactly to your point I'm really really glad that they um challenge that and like it was really i mean their family like went through it in the Mm -hmm. main story like it it, you know they sort of went through it more quickly but like in the anthology afterwards you sort of see like more of that conversation that they have where like at one point one of the sons like got kind of bucked with his dad and was like look i need to leave the situation because like i'm about to like Mm -hmm. this is not gonna be productive anymore and i was like i think yeah this is just very i don't know it just felt very real and in all of this, I'm never, I'm never mad at like the depiction of queer people in the future, um, experiencing old age, especially being black. Like, I'm just like, I'm never going to be mad at that. I just, uh, yeah, this book was really something else, but I did want to ask, um, I guess, are there any like critiques that you all kind of were thinking of, like, as you were going through this book? One thing that confused me was I thought she was still telling a story the whole time, so then when she when the ending happened, I was like, wait, is she not still sitting in a room talking to somebody? And I was so, kind of confused by that. I'm I'm really happy you I, I feel like I'm talking <laughs> a lot, but I'm really happy you mentioned that because I think she's actually talking to Marie on page one. Cause I was like, I scrolled to the very what? end and I realized she was wearing the same uh, outfit. Like, so when they had that like family gathering, um, with Marie, like I was realized, I realized that they were both wearing the same outfits. Like Marie was wearing like a tan shirt and like Hazel had on this like blue shawl. And that's exactly what they were wearing on page one. And I was like, Oh, I think she's retelling her love story to Marie. And it's like an exemplification of how she's been taking care of her for the past this whole years. time. Okay. Which, back yeah. to your point about the notebook. I really thought that yes. was, yes. was talking to yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, well, our summary is a little wrong. Sorry. I no. even wondered that this time because <laughs> I've I've flipped through this book several times because we have it where I work at a library in a high school, and mm-hmm. it was like out on a display. Which I'm so really happy that that exists. In a there's library. so there's so many good comics right now, by the way, um, and books. But even this time, I because I started it for like the 14th time, and I was like, they didn't. <laughs> L doesn't say this girl's name. So who is this? And then she even said a few pages later, like, no one ever called me L again, or no one else ever mm. called me L again. But my brain did not make the connection. Like, oh, so that was Mari or Mary or however you say it. Yeah. That's, that makes a lot of sense. That's and it was interesting. Like devastatingly oh, sad, but also cute. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Like that, that hurt my heart. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that means she's having flashbacks to being kicked out. Like that's yeah. a that she still has. Mm. That's being really young. painful. There's another small structural thing about this. Like I have a thing in my brain where I never read headers for things. I never read chapter titles the mm. first time I'm reading it. And I did not mm. read these year designations when i was going through it (laughs) other times i've flipped through it so the near future stuff that pops up kind of threw me a few times when i read this i was like wait so what's this slight sci-fi technology that we have threw me off Mm. because i had no concept that we were in the near future Mm. because i skipped all the headers well, yeah. I, do think, I mean, it, it's also only 2038. And like, yeah. at this point, we're in 2022. So when one of the characters like evaporates and re-evaporates, I was like... Oh, yeah. I was like... <laughs> I, mean, I hope we get there in like 16 years. But I'm not I'm good it. with it. <laughs> Monte's like, nope, that's fine. <laughs> but um, I was going to say, I do have... I, I um, Back to the, kind of the point about the, the relationship. I was like... What if James hadn't been gay? What if he had mm. actually been deeply in love with you for 30? I I'm, right. I guess what I'm saying is it does make that conflict a little bit more even-handed if you both were not, like, had another part of this relationship. But I was like, hmm, you also didn't kiss Marie knowing that information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, this yeah. is an interesting plot point that makes it a bit easier for everyone and then i noticed when they were telling the kids they were like and james told his whole thing and i was like did hazel tell her part or i guess she already kissed and everyone right. saw it so you don't need to tell anymore <laughs> but it just seemed really interesting that that was how they framed that part of the the book so i i, I guess i was thinking i was like well it would have been just as legitimate to divorce even if james had been like i actually have been in love with you the whole time <laughs> i wanted to continue yeah. being in love with you it would be like yeah, that's true, but you know, there people still get divorced. So I thought that was that was interesting. Um I guess I I thought I wondered about that part, but I do have another critique. It's not a critique, but it's a thought. It might be a critique. I was like, <laughs> it's nineteen sixty eight and we're just not we're not gonna talk about anything about like civil rights. We're gonna mention it. We're just because I was like, Well, there's Vietnam. We're definitely talking about that. And I was just like, maybe like Nothing, not even on like on a video or a TV in the background as they walk through like a store or something. So I was a little, mm. I don't think you have to address everything in one book, but I was just like, this seems oddly absent. So that right. was the thought I had. That's kind yeah. of similar. I was, oh, I think you might be saying the same I, thing. The thing that I was, so I did notice the absence of it, but I was kind of like, I mean, these are all black characters. Like this is written for a black audience. Everybody 
you know, we know the civil rights movement happened. I kind mm-hmm. of like that it was very isolated. From, like, it was very isolated from the specific politics of the time, but it was also very deeply intertwined with the politics of the time, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Like, the story itself and the narrative itself was only possible because of the politics of that time. But I kind of liked not getting into the specifics of it because it was just kind of like, it made it a lot more translatable to other times and situations, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. Never mind. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> no, made, that, made, that made sense. Because yeah, <laughs> <was perfect. laughs> like, <laughs> there is a, there is I'm a, like, it was in the time, but it wasn't in the time, and it was poly, but it wasn't. Well, because I, when I was reading, I was like, "Yeah, I was like, do we need to be hammered over that the civil rights movement happens?" And like you said, it's for a black audience, and we're, we're kind of pretty aware. And mm-hmm. so I was struggling with that, but then I was like, "But also, I mean, not even like a TV in the background, not yeah. even like a mm-hmm. newspaper article, <laughs> like not anything." So I was a little. But I think you're right to say, like, there is an alternative book where that gets the whole story gets bogged down in that and you're like oh this is a tone shift that's gonna have to be addressed in a completely different fashion so yeah um but yeah yeah and i and i like how it kind of points to the fact that like because i'm thinking about how like for instance you know fast forwarding into the future like when hazel was in therapy and like her therapist was like oh like you know love is love like whatever like it's like not that deep like loving marie isn't wrong and she was like wow like never really heard anyone say that to me and it's like Mm. it's interesting because you my first thought was like in 2015 but then it's also like that doesn't like i think sometimes we can kind of Mm. in describing social movements make it seem like everything just permeates every community at every point and like there's always those same cultural teachings but like that's not really the case it's actually deeply contextual to like where you are specifically it's sort of like your social location and things of that nature. And so I liked how that it kind of played with in that sense. Like, it's like, okay, because it was in the future, there is more social permission. But like, that wasn't just like, that wasn't just an inherent fact that just through cultural osmosis, like Hazel was able to like, just absorb. It was like still a process to get to a point where she was like, okay, like I'm, I'm cool with this relationship. And like, I'm, you know, I'm down to pursue this and everything. Um, As far as like critiques, there were like two things that kind of came up for me. So, I did feel like Marie and Hazel's relationship was a little bit codependent. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, I think they're very in love with one another, but I think a part of me was kind of like, it did feel a little bit codependent at times. So I was kind of like, okay, this is, this is interesting. But I think there's also sort of like a nuance around like experiencing love later in life that like, I think the book was also communicating to. And then there was also a part where like, I feel like going back to tropes, I think sometimes like, especially when there's a trope of, you know, there's a queer character who sort of was like not allowed to really express themselves. They can almost sort of like deify their, like the queer love interest. Like they just become this like beacon of perfection. And like, it's like because of this queer love, like everything is possible and everything is magical. And like, we all live happily ever after and fuck all the details, which is like, I mean, sure, whatever, cute. But like, I liked how specifically, like I remember feeling a little bit like that in the story, but then in the anthology where we kind of got to see more more of the details of like, you know, Marie and Hazel's relationship, we kind of saw some of the tension of like, you know, Marie being like a lawyer and like having a really demanding job and like kind of Hazel experiencing some professional dissonance and like not necessarily knowing what to do with her, with, with herself, honestly, and like feeling like she wasn't bringing as much to the table. And like, even just, you know, the, the conversation they had around like sex and, you know, sexual health and stuff. Like it just, I, I liked that it kind of pointed to like, okay, like, Marie is also just like a person, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, like this is someone that you hold in very high regard, but like there are still things that you're going to have to kind of like 
figure out with with one another it's not like okay we're together and everything's just perfect so yeah so yeah i was gonna um one of marcy when you bring up the therapy scene one of the criticisms that i had of the story or really it's the only criticism that i had of the story was the way specifically the way that hazel and mary's relationship was depicted i agree that it definitely did get into codependency and like I because I've been a closeted teenager and I've had like crushes on people and you just invent this person in your head. Mm. I would have liked a lot more if mm. I would have liked for the story to get more into that and get more into the actual nitty gritty of their relationship as adults. Because when mm-hmm. they were children, it seemed like it was very much like Hazel kind of wrapping up everything that she wanted into mm. Mary in yeah. a way that in real life would be extremely unhealthy. And mm. I think it would have been good to explore what that looks like a little bit more as an adult, like in a way that's maybe a little bit more realistic. Mm-hmm. And maybe because so much time had passed between when they saw each other the first time and the last time, like they've both matured a lot separately. So coming together later, maybe it wouldn't be as bad as if they had gotten together like as teenagers and actually continued their relationship. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, that probably would not have been the best thing for either of them just because that dynamic did exist. But the therapist during that scene, she says like, love whomever you want to love, just make sure they're deserving of your love. And I feel like that statement was very ominous and went nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was expecting it to go somewhere, but it just, it doesn't really like Mary never does anything necessarily wrong. And I, and it, I was waiting the whole time. I was like, so what is like, what's wrong? Because first of all, the way that the, like the way that Mary just kind of pops up again and throws her life into a loop. And then it seems like she's doing the same thing that she did as a kid, but then that just kind of abruptly stops. Mm. And I'm like, wait, you have mm. to, there has to be like, there's work in between those two points. And I would have liked to see um, that work. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Mar- Marie does kind of stay the sort of, super heroic character i mean like you said in like the ending part we see a little bit more of her her humanity but it's not like marie comes back and she's like a jerk you know what I mean? like she comes yeah. back and she's mm-hmm. still quite quite perfect i i yeah i see your i kind of so when i was reading it i was like i had i was of two minds <laughs> anyway um part of me was like <laughs> i was like should you really idealize your 17 year old girlfriend relationship and like you know what i mean i was like that's I don't know if that's a great (laughs) through line. But then I was like, okay, that's true in a sense. But this book is trying to accomplish something, Akko. Like, look at the structure. It's trying to show that, like, love, this love has always been real. And their, like, sexual identity and their feelings were legitimate, even when they were young people who Mm. it wasn't socially acceptable. And it's acceptable now. And the best conduit to do that is through this relationship that carries over through time. So stop being such a, like, uh, funny, (laughs) daddy, you know, annoying (laughs) structural person and see the book for what it's trying to tell you and i was like yeah that's fair so i do see that i do think part of me does feel like hazel plays this emotional game that i don't love where she just like gets really like 
kind of like, well, what am I going to do? And you're like, I don't know. I, I mean, Hazel, make a choice. And I don't, I don't entirely <laughs> love that type of, because she's really good at not having that codependency with James, maybe because she doesn't love him. But I mm. didn't think when it comes to Marie, like I, I was just thinking about the garden scene and Marie has to do a lot of emotional heavy lifting to be like, what is wrong? Are you good? Like, it's not about leaving. You know what I mean? It's just like, I do think that scene was pretty good at showing though that it's not, nothing's perfect even if you thought that the main problem was you weren't able to be your true authentic self relationally that's part of the issue but if you are closeted for that long you might think that's the only thing and once that's out of the picture like everything will be fine mm. and then she realized like wow actually there's a lot of scripts that i like internalized that i like didn't get Yum. to deal with like being a person who does things in the house a lot anyway so i I was of two minds, and I guess they collided in the end, and everything. Was fine, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. Like, it's at the end of the day, it is a story, and stories don't have to be hyper realistic. And I yeah. can see what because there is so little, high, like lighthearted, mm-hmm. more fluffy content for queer people to consume. I can I can totally understand why they wouldn't, you know be hyper realistic about mm. the amount of work that the two people would have to do emotionally i can right. totally understand it yes it is also a story that's trying to do a lot like there's a very large amount of time and it is not just i mean it is skimming over a lot in like montage but it's trying to dive deep at various points in her life and tell a full story of those various points so right yeah honestly the fact that they had that whole like I actually really love that this was a, about community healing in a way. Like it wasn't mm. just about Marie and Hazel getting together. It was like, okay, if we well, we're gonna break up this family, but family and community and black people, it's a pretty strong. It's you can't just be like we're gonna blow up the whole family and leave people out here stranded, right? The fact right. that they were like, we have to talk about this. We have to, and, and maybe that's and honestly, maybe that actually is a new thing. Maybe this kind of reminds me of um, All Boys Are Blue when the author is like. We can move progressively forward without having to rely on like narratives of like the oppressors. Like we can have the good things about our community and do things differently and healthily. And I, I think not keeping secrets and letting all those secrets out was very therapeutic. A very therapeutic mm. thing to write about. Okay. Anyway, whatever. Agra said a lot of things. <laughs> Melissa, do you have thoughts? I feel like I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually uh, I was just thinking about how. Uh, Basically, what you were talking about, family, um, they could have run away and just, like, forsaken Mm. their lives. But And obviously, um, not every family is going to come around after Mm. the shock and the anger go away. They're not always going to come back and accept you. But in this case, obviously, we see a lot of her family... um, at, like a year later or whatever a- after they you know the divorce happens and they deal with that and then they get married and and her family's with her on her wedding day mm-hmm. and it would have been so less fulfilling potentially you know if she's finally getting married to the woman she loves but her family's not there right. um so she kind of got both things and she only got there based on um probably a lot of awkward and frustrating conversations mm-hmm. that you know, probably happened um, multiple times, but because right. she stayed true to herself and mm. she had those hard, hard conversations that mm. was like possible, at least anyway. She gave her family the chance to come around and be like, okay, 
we can all be together. Right. And it's kind of up to you uh, to accept uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> but right. Right. but no, then it, they did, it was just good. And, yeah. and it's so powerful because like, I think, especially when we, you know, we consider like, you know, Hazel comes from a more, I guess, I'm not sure if like the younger people are more religious, but it seems like, you know, she comes from, from a more conservative religious type of background. Um, it's really nice to see that be modeled in black families as well. That kind of like vulnerability and openness, even the fact that they mm-hmm. were like, she was like, yeah, like we all went to therapy. I'm like, that's huge. Like right. intergenerationally, we went to therapy. Like, can we, right. can we just pause and really highlight how beautiful that is to be depicted? Cause I feel like, there's 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 so much that this book did that I was like mm-hmm. it, I'm I'm so I love that this exists <laughs> like I love that like <laughs> this is a, a depiction of like black family and black life and like that and, and and genuinely like especially when with the wedding scene and stuff like seeing like the entire family there and seeing everyone come behind like yeah. Hazel and Marie I was like this just really made the story just. It, it, it's sad that it seems like this type of joyous queer content doesn't <laughs> really exist in large numbers. But, um, so when you like come across it, you're like, wow, like I, this is, I just really want to really want to cherish this because it's rather beautiful. Marcy, the way that you pointed out that they all went to their, like they, they went to family therapy and stuff like that shows so much that these, like they're taking responsibility for themselves. They're taking responsibility for each other. And in like, queer black media especially that is so rare because Mm. so often the stories that we get are someone's thrown out of their family or someone runs Mm. away from their family it's very rare that we get a family taking responsibility for each other when it's difficult like when it's Mm. very very difficult Mm. and not ostracizing not running away not withdrawing and i think that that like pushes back against so many stereotypes about black people and black families and i was so so happy to see it in this story. absolutely yeah i agree also i think even having the ending where the kids are like going through their parents like the story mm. is, is also an intergenerational story just about you know kids and their parents in 1963 and then kids and their parents in 2038 <laughs> um, mm. and just having them go through their books and kind of it, it was it was about it, and even like even just like watching Marie go through life and, and pass away and Hazel pass away. You know what I mean? It was like, it was a story about people's lives, a queer people who are living a whole life and who have families and have just a holistic story about people. And I know that sounds like a, a low bar, but sometimes <laughs> we're not getting there. So. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's a low bar, but it really seems like it's not. Right, because no yeah. one's, get, no one's, you know, and so anyway, I to your point, Marcy, about the book is doing so much. Uh, yeah, let me like make sure we emphasize this because we had critiques, but the book is doing so much in such a short amount of time and manages to pull it off like very effectively. I mean, it's only like, well, it's a comic book. It's like the, the 30 pages. I don't know. 25, whatever. <laughs> it's a very small comic book. I have yeah, a stack and it's the it's, smallest. Yeah, it's like not that long of a book, but it still manages to weave everything in very effectively. And I think it's mostly about what the author chooses to focus on. That scene with the family is a pretty big part of the story. And anyway, I just think it's effective. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so. SJW, I'm going to give y'all the last word. So what are y'all's final thoughts and feelings about bingo love before we wrap up? Okay, I'll start. 
It was adorable. It was very quick. It was a very quick week. Like on my, I read it on a phone app and it was like 89 pages and I just probably read it in like an hour or something like that. And it's mm. um just adorable. I mean, I know that overall it was wholesome and overall it was nice. And I was a little bit gutted when they were dead. <laughs> um, and then I was like, but it's okay because mm-hmm. they're happy after they're dead and then i had to like <laughs> reconcile but it was sort of like oh it's, it's not it's not ending where they're like retiring together right. or whatever it ends like full life cycle basically and it was yeah. just super cute and adorable the whole time yeah not the whole time but <laughs> right. 99% of time right <laughs> yes yeah i'm really happy i finally took the chance to read this from cover to cover instead of like starting it and then starting it again and then flipping through it because I've seen it. And I'm so happy that there's so much stuff like there's really a library building up of queer and POC content for teenagers. And Mm. I tell you, they are very happy to have it. They are consuming it at breakneck speed. I have another one right here. What's it called? Queer comic book, Heartstopper. This is circulating absolutely nonstop. It will be checked out several times a day, read and returned. Um, I love that. I was going to say, Veronica works in a library. That's how she knows that. <laughs> That's how I know that. Um, oh, come on, you. The reading. Yes. <laughs> right? The that. kids are all right. And <laughs> I mean, they're getting some and then they ask for more and it's amazing. And I'm happy that there's more and more stuff every year and in every shipment we get for them to be reading. Yay. And this yeah. was an excellent contribution to that library. Uh, just the thought of like the youth reading these books like at school, like just right. like oh god. Yeah, it makes me happy. <laughs> yes, Monte. Yeah, this story meant a lot to me. Um, there's a few, kind of echoing what Veronica said. Like from my personal experience, if I had stories like this when I was in high school or middle school, I think that it would have just made things so much easier. And I'm just really happy that it exists. And that I, I mean, I'm kind of an adult now, but not really. So <laughs> I, like, I'm happy that I have it now. Like, as I continue with my maturing, um, mm. having stories like this to really model, like, what's healthy. Um, and that you can be a flawed person and you can have your responses, but you can, you know, process those in very healthy ways. Right. Um, there's a story that we read called bloom uh on the sjw comic book we gotta read it and it's it's beautiful yeah it's it's i think this one is probably this story i think was better um but it was another like cutesy kind of lgbt story for um young adults that was in sort of the young adult genre and i'm just so happy that these kinds of stories exist and they mean a lot yeah (sighs) wow Uh, so lovely Mm. all right well listen listeners did you hear that beautiful literary criticism as well as analysis of this comic book you want to hear more of that you know you do so check out sjw uh where can they find you so obviously uh you can find the podcast wherever podcasts are served under the sjw comic book club should pop up i think on every provider possible (laughs) if i've done my job correctly um, and then you <laughs> we can, can only hope <laughs> we can only hope and then if you want to keep up with us on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at sjwcomicscast or you can email us directly at sjwcomicspodcast 
at gmail.com. Mm. Ooh, beautiful. And if you want to tell us about how y'all should have the SJW on more often, you know what? You can tell us at our Twitter at the color page, these color pages. No, Twitter's twi- the color pages. Oh my God. Y'all are never going to find us. But yeah, so you can find us, you can find us at the color pages or on Twitter or our Instagram, these color pages, or email these color pages at gmail.com. And as per usual, we have our website, these color pages.com. Yes, yes. And of course, if the show brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, because we're talking about what? Joy. Feel free to leave us some love wherever you are listening to this podcast, which could be Apple Podcasts or not. Also, if at any point in this episode you were just like, you know, I feel like there's someone in my life that really just needs this kind of like joy, these depictions, feel free to just shoot them this link, literally no context, just shoot them the link to the episode <laughs> and just have them listen to it and then just like throw your phone into traffic, like just literally forget about <laughs> it. Um, do that because chaotic behavior like that really helps us to grow our community, which honestly is just all, all that we need. And speaking of community, please do support the SJW comic book podcast because you know, their show is just everything. Um, mm-hmm. I learned so much. I feel like I'm trying to get my like comics on my like Marvel, like I'm like doing a shimmy right now, like kind of, you know, I'm really trying to like get that together. And so their show just, yeah, really goes into a lot of great um, analysis. Honestly, if you enjoy like our summer short series, that's, they basically just yeah. do a whole like summer, summer short joyous lady ass show. So really do please support them. Um, and next time we're going to be reading Master of Jin by Deji Clark. So look forward to that. But between now and then, Akko, is there anything else we should leave our listeners with before we head out? No, just until we meet again, just remember to... Stay, stay colorful! colorful.